Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I am honored to have on another guest with me that has been on this podcast, not one time, not two times, but now the third time. Third time is the charm. This gentleman is the owner of Contract Diagnostics. He was an invaluable resource for the last book that we put out, The Young Physician's Guide to Money in Life. He is none other than John Apino. John Apino, welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you for having me, sir. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure. I love your energy. I love your frame. I love how you share the same vision that we share, and that's how waking up every day asking yourself, how can I help people? And yes. uh, you help people in a much different frame than we do here at Contract Diagnostics. But, um, but I think what we do and what you do are super important to their lives and uh, happy to, uh, to, to, to uh, provide any kind of information that you think would benefit your listeners. Absolutely. And we've certainly have other episodes. We will link in the show notes from other episodes John had been on to so make sure to check those out. We will try not to, to rehash a lot of that stuff and, and give you some, some great information. So John, let's, uh, let's dive into it. We are recording this in the very late part of March in 2020. And this episode's probably coming out around the beginning of summer. So I would love to, to hear from you. Coronavirus is, is impacting the economy. You know, a lot of people are being quarantined. Um, New York is a crazy hotspot right now as we speak. Lots of people passing away. Um, and, and the physician community is, is being impacted either one of two ways right now. A lot of, of surgeons doing orthopedic surgery or, or some other stuff have, have totally been put on hold. And um, they are not doing surgeries right now in, in a lot of places. And instead, a lot of the, the care is going to emergency and ICU and, and stuff like that. Um, how, how is this impacting your business? This is the time of year where residents are getting, getting um, matched to their, their full-time jobs and, and getting placed and, and um, residents becoming fellows and getting ready to, to think of their there are big contracts coming up. Yeah. What's going on yeah. with you? It's uh, so our, I mean, our business, this is always the busy time. You know, we, we used to get busy in January of every year for people starting in July, August. And then, you know, now our, and then it would be busy through the end of the year, through, through the rest of the, the academic year, uh, through June. Um, our, we are now getting busy though in October, September. Um, and we've even done, Dave, we've even done nine uh, contracts for physicians starting in 2022. Huh. So people are signing further out. And I think that's, a, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but obviously there's a lot of physicians that are starting jobs still this year and they're starting in July or August or September of 2020. 
and we are still super busy with all of those folks. Um, and you can imagine there's a lot of things that have to happen. Not only is understanding the contract, uh, which is what we do. I mean, all we do are help physicians understand contracts and know how to go about discussing, maybe negotiating them with the prospective employer or contracting entity as it may be. But what's changed from our perspective maybe isn't so much of our daily work. It hasn't been the volume of work. It's some of the questions we're getting or it's some of the follow-up questions that we're getting from prior clients who are supposed to be starting jobs in September or August of this year, and they don't know how it's going to impact them. Mm. We're getting a lot of emails from people who started jobs last year who are in jobs like you mentioned, orthopedic surgery or podiatry or you know dermatology or something that has been dramatically impacted by either less clinic visits or little to no um, uh, elective cases. And each employer, I mean, nobody's prepared for this. So the employers are tr trying to figure out how do we handle this? Do we force people to get, take PTO? Um, large employers can, you know, can, can maybe find a way to pay employees. Obviously, key physicians are, are, are super important to any business. But we're seeing, we're seeing companies navigate this, this, this uh, challenge in a way that they haven't had to in the past. They have no way to prepare for this. They've got PTO and policies for maternity and policies if you know this happens but the way that physicians are on production and the way that case canceled or moved around is providing a big challenge and of course a lot of people are going back to what the contract says on their obligation is if it's the employer to provide a salary if it's the physician to provide 40 hours of patient care which obviously is challenging if there's no patients and they're all trying to navigate this together so We've been having a lot of follow-up calls from our prior clients. We've been educating our current clients on what questions they need to ask about their contracts, whether that's for 2020 or 2021 or 2022. But we've been also just playing a role in listening to what's going on out there, providing guidance to the physicians with how they could find mutual ways to work through this with their employers, talking to administrators to see, are they continuing to hire and do site visits and what projections like how are they handling everything um and uh, and also just with our current helping them manage the time process between when you're starting to work and simple things like getting a license oh I, I pennsylvania i've heard with with a lot of uh, places working from home or not working at all the way that you get a state license is closed so if you are supposed to start a job this year and you're working in a very a random state and you apply for your license or your license is missing, it may not be getting approved. And therefore you can't credential. If you can't get credentialed, you can't start working. And if you can't start working, you don't have your income. So it's going to be an interesting process between now and when you know the the graduating class is going to to start working uh, to see kind of how this whole thing comes together. And I guess it's a it's a long answer to maybe a short question about how our business is doing. Our business is great. Um, we are doing what we love to do every day, which is help people. The way we've helped people, I think, has changed a little bit from just looking at contracts to, 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 to trying to help, help people navigate through this very interesting time. So let's, let's dig into a few of those things that, that you talked about, John, maybe with the um, last one first, which is um, people that can't get licensed. So 
I have to imagine that's part of a contract. What are you seeing so far? It's so early right now. We're only six weeks really into this when it started to hit the U.S. And now is probably getting close to the apex. Um, what are you seeing so far? You know, what are any employers, you know, really kind of cracking down hard on that? Is mo- are most people having grace? What is that looking like with licensing? So from a licensing perspective, from what we are hearing, and this may be different in different states or employers, obviously large hospital organizations versus a small private practice might be going about things differently. And, uh, you know, what we are hearing is, and obviously a contract, I mean, a contract has requirements, you know, just like you have to, you know, be board eligible or you have to be able to work in the United States or you have to be on staff at the hospital. You know, you have to have a license and you have to be credentialed and all those things need to happen before you can start working. So if you don't have those things in place, the contract can't, t- I mean, the contract may or may not have an effective date that, was, that, that, that predates your start date. So you may have an effective date of today in March, but your maybe the commencement date is scheduled to be September 4th. Well, by September 4th, and a lot of times it'll say 90 days prior to September 4th, here are the things that need to be in place. And if those things aren't in place, then September 4th is not the start date. Some contracts will say if these things are not in place 90 days after September 4th, as an example, that the contract can be immediately absolved and and uh, and, uh, and and go away. So it, we don't know how it's going to play out. If employers, I, we all know that employers are going to need positions. How this whole thing plays out, I don't think employers are going to just all of a sudden say, we don't need you, we don't want you. I mean, it's a very expensive process to recruit and to contract and to you know, find a good doctor. Um, and we know that those doctors are going to be necessary. We just don't know at what point they'll ramp back up and at what point there'll be a log of patients who have needed care who have delayed care. So I don't know how it's going to work out yet. But as of now, of course, you have requirements that you have to have in place before the contract can begin. And what are your thoughts on, I've, I've been talking to a few clients lately, physicians and, and even nurses, that they are in a spot where normally they're doing elective surgeries, for example, or maybe they're doing primary care and they basically can't see any patients right now, you know, except mm-hmm. for, for through some telemedicine, although from what I understand, you know, there's not as much telemedicine need quite yet uh, from at least the, the clients that, that I have. And so right now they're, they're not really working, um, but a lot of them are employer, uh, employees of hospital systems and the hospital systems are trying to figure out right now, is there a better place for those physicians in the short term, you know, working in, in a hospital rather than a clinic? Um, being in, mm-hmm. in the ER or the ICU instead of what they normally do. Any thoughts just on, on contracts and, and how that works where you might be required to do something that you normally um, wouldn't be doing? Yeah, no, that's a, great, that's a great question. And I think there's always a difference to delineate between the contract world and the real world. So, you know, the, I, the contract may say that the physician has to provide 40 hours of patient care or 36 hours of patient care, or it may say they need to be available to provide that amount of patient care. The contract may say the physician has 30 days of PTO. Um, The contract may say that the employer has a salary obligation of 
say $30,000 a month. So the, but the contract also usually has a no cost termination that says the physician can walk away or the employer can walk away uh, with 90 days notice or 60 days notice or whatnot. So our guidance to our physicians who don't know what to do in this time is to work together with the employer in the real world to find out what a good solution is. Um, obviously the physician can't fulfill their obligation if it's 40 hours a week, um, obviously with, with patients. Obviously the employer, um, the employer may not be, depending on how big or how small they are, may not be able to cover the physician's salary at $30,000 if zero revenue is coming in to the organization. Um, when they've got other ancillary staff and rent and all, and still malpractice needs to be paid and all these other expenses. Um, so, you know, and then there's that termination, right? Would physicians start walking away for more guarantees? Would employers start letting physicians go knowing that that's their greatest cost? So that's why we think that working together collectively to find a solution, whether that's, you know, doing tele, helping with telemedicine in clinic or whether that's, you know, working on processes and improvements, whether that's taking a month with you know, a furlough with no salary for a month because you maybe can't burn PTO depending on policies. Um, maybe consolidating a five-day clinic to a two-day clinic. Um, we're encouraging physicians and employers to work collectively together to solve the problem, knowing that there's no policy for something like this. Yet we have a contract, but the contract may be very hard to enforce by either party right now, especially if there's a no-cost termination because either party could just walk away with 60 days notice most likely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Your question. No, it's. It, I think it's. It, it definitely um, talks about it. What about um, there's there's been some talk in in this bailout money that literally just got approved like last night uh, or this morning. I can't remember when exactly it was about money going to hospital systems, and there's been headlines about hospital systems going going uh, through a lot of financial stress, and that they were already kind of tight. Um, to begin with, as a contract expert, you know how concerned are you about the financial health of of hospital systems as you evaluate the the contracts that you're looking at? Yeah, well, it's a great question. I mean, the majority of hospitals generate a lot of revenue from cases, from knee surgeries, from you know orthopedic procedures. Um, from pain, I mean, from all kinds of procedures. And if they're not doing those procedures, the physicians who sometimes are paid the most and everybody associated with them from anesthesia to the hospitalists to, you know, everybody in between um, are not generating revenue. So I've spent time with administrators this week and they are in constant meetings trying to figure out how do we handle this? How do we balance, you know, our revenue going from A to significantly less than A, and at the same time, we have obligation to our employees, the highest of which paid are the specialists who likely aren't doing any cases, or, or, or their caseload is dramatically lower. So um, I, I don't know how it's all gonna turn out. I know that the bailout numbers that I've initially seen, or the, uh, the numbers I've initially seen has been somewhere in the range of 150, 137 billion dollars for hospitals. Um, I don't know how that money gets from one hand to the next. 
um, when it gets into the hospital. I don't know what they use it for. I don't know if it's going to be structured as a loan or as a gift. I don't know how they're going to structure these funds. You know, and I don't know if the hospital is just going to use them to pay salaries, if they're going to use them to reinvest um, and you know, put more people back to work for construction projects. I don't know if they're going to use it for bonuses um, or increased benefits or more paid leave or to help bridge the gap between zero revenue coming in and expenses um, and debt to be paid or paying you know, your physicians or a fraction of the physicians, not knowing when this money will get there and how long this thing lasts. I'm not quite sure how the hospitals are going to deal with it, but I do know that the hospitals have a big problem right now because, of course, they have large overheads and lots of people on the payroll, which are in buildings and everything else, which are super expensive. Um, but I also know that small practices are, you know, they're the ones that might be a little more at risk because I don't know what's considered small business and what's considered part of the relief program that they're passing. So like the small practice with three orthopedic surgeons or a family medicine clinic or a pediatrician office with six pediatricians in it or a pathology uh, group. I don't know how those guys are doing during these times. I can imagine, you know, I've, I heard from a, a customer um, that we worked with last year, this, this last week, that patient volumes in their pediatric clinic were down 65%. Mm. Okay, so this is a group of six pediatricians and their patient volume is down 65%. And of course, pediatricians don't spend time and lots of time in the hospital doing expensive procedures. You know, they see patients in clinic mm -hmm. and they help mm -hmm. families out. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if a lot of people shift to telemedicine after this. I don't know if, you know, if, if, if they'll do okay with volumes being 35% of what they were. Um, you know, so I think we're going to see a real big, I think it's going to be very interesting that we don't know how it's going to play out yet with where the money goes at the hospital level, what's considered a small business, um, how the how smaller medical practices who may be deemed not small business based on revenue projections or, or revenue of the organization. Um, it'll be interesting to see how all this money is, is, uh, is handed out and how it impacts not only the hospitals and the clinics, but the physicians that work there. So that's, that was great let's let's dig in this a little bit further so let's say you were a pediatrician how would you and, and you haven't or you're, you're a resident right now you haven't signed a contract yet maybe maybe you're you have one year of residency left to go and you're listening to this podcast right now and how would you be thinking about evaluating potential employers and and looking at it in light of everything that's happening now has anything changed for you knowing what you know, if you were a, a pediatrician? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think, I think it, you know, people always have, people call us with usually what they want, right? People want to have the employed situation, which I think last year, 60% of, of those transitioning out of training went into an employed, like, you know, I work for a hospital system. I'm an employee, not a small group on the way to partnership. Um, and then, you know, so people like that model. Um, it obviously varies greatly if you are a anesthesia or a pediatrics um, or orthopedic surgeon. But a lot of people want that private practice. And, you know, and I don't know if the people who want the private practice are going to change coming up because they feel like they're just less stable. They're, you know, they don't have the financial wherewithal. Should something happen, you know, um, the small practice, if you will, may not get a bailout or may not get a, 
you know, in, access to interest-free loans from the government. You know, and, and so I could almost see the, the, uh, the number of physicians who want that employed model shifting more towards the hospital side when we mm. thought we were going to get further and further away from it over the next five years. I might, I might think that that might change and we might get back to people wanting to be part of hospitals who just have larger coffins, who just have larger ways of dealing with, with issues like this when they come up, knowing that this is a big one and I hope we don't have one for a long time, but who knows when we'll have the next hiccup like this. And I think that more people are going to want to be part of a larger organization. That's great. Interesting. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, now, if you were a physician, John, and maybe you're already employed right now, so let's move away from residents and people looking at contracts. So, someone that's that's already employed. Um, one of the things we always tell people, and many advisor type folks tell people, is that you should be keeping three to six months of cash on hand. Um, what do you think of that advice in, in light of everything going on right now? Well, I, uh, I don't know as much about financial acuity as you do, of course, but I think that that's a great policy for everybody. Um, I think that um, ways that people can plan for their finances and to be financially strong is, is always super important. I think times like this may force people to know that it's apparent and it's important. And it's, it, there's a big difference, Dave, as you know, between making money and between having money. Yep. So, you know, anybody can, I should say, I mean, any physician who comes out of training has a good income, whether it's see ranges of income, you know, for a full-time employed positions from anywhere from 150, 160 on the low end to well over, you know, to a million dollars or more for, for a guarantee for a year. Okay depending on obviously where in the country and what's your specialty and everything else. So a big range, but still, I mean, everyone's making six figures and you can choose to allocate that money how you wish. And if the first thing that the surgeon does coming out of, you know, buy a hundred thousand dollar car or, you know, on payments um, or even in cash, if you have a big signing bonus and then purchase that $800,000 house and then continue to, you know, travel and enjoy and spend and go out to dinners and all those things that everyone loves to do that might be over what you should be doing to allow your, to, to prevent yourself from having some of the financial security or the financial freedom that so many want. I think that this just reinforces that that might not be a good idea um, right off the bat out of training, you know, getting those loans paid off, making sure you've got money in the bank saved up, being, being very, aware of the amount of debt that you're taking on and how it's structured and how long it's going to be around. And, you know, if, if you lose your income, what you can do to replace it or to continue paying the debt. Physicians don't have a large unemployment rate, but obviously if you have the home, if you have the cars, and if you lose your job and you do need to move to find a new job, your salary may be the same. It may go down, but the cost to move from one place to the next could be great. So I think having three months or six months or even more in, uh, in savings is super important. And I think times like this prove it. Absolutely. And uh, I would generally think, you know, having more, it doesn't all have to be money in the bank, but I think having, having more of that money, you know, it's, and it's, it's happened time and time again. Um, maybe not every year, but once every decade, you know, you, you get, you get these wake up calls. Um, so I, I hope everybody listening to this is really taking that to heart and making sure you have extra money on the side that you don't have to get penalties for uh, dipping into. So John, um, 
with with all that being said, for people that are currently employed, they're they're under a contract. Um, how valuable do you think it is to revisit that in light of everything that's that's happening right now in late March 2020 with the the coronavirus? To revisit their contract? Yeah. You know, I think it's always good to know uh, what your out is and to know what your risk is. And if that's if that means that if if you don't work at your job, you need to buy your tail insurance, for example, or you have a non-compete, for example, or you need to repay some upfront cash, a signing bonus or a relocation or some student loan money or a stipend or any other factors. I think it's super important for a physician to know if this doesn't work out, I can work next door. I don't have to buy my tail insurance. I will have 90 days of notice, or I need to pay 35,000 for my tail insurance. That's the financial consideration if I quit or if I get fired or if they just let me go, or if I have to move because the non-compete is catastrophic, or if the notice that my employer will give me is 30 days, that's not a lot to find a job, or if the notice give me is nine, which maybe is a little more. So I definitely think it's good for everybody to know they are with what the contract allows them to do and, uh, and what the contract allows the employer to do. And then in all situations, what their exposure is, if it's financial, if it's a restriction, if it's you know, time-wise or work-wise, if it's tail insurance, if it's, you know, I think that's very important um, just because things are moving rapidly and quickly and and people and employers are making decisions. Um, I think that everybody's in a safe place. I think everything will work out just fine. But I think it's always good for everyone to know, even in great times, to know what the contract says and how it could be, how your life could dramatically change if you are, of course, um, an employee. I love it. Well, Mr. Rapino, any any uh, final thoughts in terms of as as we wrap up the episode for today? As we think about contracts, we think about um, this, these crazy times we're in right this moment. You know, I do. Um, and, uh, and not about contracts. I think, you know, I think there's lots. I think, you know, we will be here at Contract Diagnostics to help anybody with questions or issues or, you know, looking to sign a contract or problems with their contract or, you know, whatever. I mean, we, we will always be here to help. But I truly and you know and physicians have always held a held good graces in america right i mean people you know my doctor my you know they they they, you know it's it's a prestigious field but i do think that we will come out of this looking at physicians differently i think and and in general and obviously the people that are on the front lines you know it's the critical care physicians it's the pulmonology physicians it's the nurses it's the emergency medicine doctors it's the hospitalists it's the intensive care i mean it's the you know, it's all of these people who are on the front lines of this thing fighting the infectious disease doctors for crying out loud right these are the people who are, i mean who are out there really you know really really fighting this thing and we know that they're going to win but i think that they're going to come out of this physicians in general and, and of course some specialists but i think physicians in general will come out of this thing um, almost being looked at like we look at the military now where we give military discounts and we honor our soldiers and we build statues to our soldiers. And we look at them as, you know, one of the reasons that America is great. Um, and I think that physicians are going to come out of this almost with that, 
with that with a new way that people look at them when they see them out there fighting with the PPEs on and you know they see this I think it's really going to hold a place in America's heart and uh, I think it's going to be I, I just think it's going to be good for the country when we come out of this and it's it's it's, it's, it's not because of what I do at contract diagnostics or what you do it's what what the physicians do and the decisions they've made and how the researchers find good cures and, and treatments and everything else. I think that physicians will come out of this um, in, as, as heroes, if you will. And I think it's gonna be really cool. Wow, that's awesome. And if people want information on, on reviewing their contract, they want someone to speak with, to, to talk about, whether they're looking for a brand new one or they just wanna review over their existing one, what would be the best way to find you, my friend? Uh, they can just type in contract diagnostics anywhere and we're, we have a website and we pop up a lot of places so they can just type in contract diagnostics uh, into any search bar um, or we're on social um, and uh, they can find us anywhere. Uh, we have a website and a phone number and all that stuff. It's all online. It's super easy to find. Um, and we do have a 15 minute free consult on our website. You can sign up for, we don't charge you a nickel and we just talk with you. Um, because like I said, when we started, we're here to help we were really not here to make money because we know if we just help enough people that will make the money. And so, um, so anybody can sign up on our website for a free 15 minute call with us at any time. If it's, if it's because they want to see what, what we do and what we sell and how much it costs, they can do that. If it's just because they want to talk with us about their scenario. Awesome. We are here to help. So anybody can sign up on our website for that anytime. All right. There you are, my friends. Great advice, great things to think about and ponder on. And certainly you have an expert there that, that can help you out with any of those related questions. And we just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your service and everything that you do as a physician. Um, you know, it means so much to me and to, to John as well. And as always, my friends, thank you so much for joining us in this journey. Remember, slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.